Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Be on guard. Stay awake. Be alert. Watch. No matter how it is said, the message is quite clear. There are dangers that we need to look out for. Some lurk in the shadows, and some stand boldly and defiantly out in the bright sun. But if we're not careful, they'll do us in. Some of you may remember the classic police drama, Hill Street Blues. The show featured a great cast and fine writing, and it really conveyed a good blend of both the tedium and the terror that law enforcement officers face on a daily basis. One of the more memorable scenes that occurred on a regular basis in this show was that of the daily briefing. Some of you may recall I made mention of it in another sermon some months ago. The grizzled old desk sergeant would give his daily briefing to the patrol officers just before they went out each day to start their shifts. He'd go over a lot of the humdrum administrative details. He'd cover progress on particular cases. And he'd tell them about certain crime statistics or suspects they should know about. Finally, after he'd covered his entire list of items, this veteran officer would dismiss the patrol teams to go out to their squad cars. Chairs would scrape the floor and chatter would break out and maybe even a little bit of horseplay would go on. Then he would raise his voice above the, the din that was building. Hey, 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 hey! He would shout out. Then he would drop his voice and in a very somber and sober tone, he would say to them, subdued, be careful out there. Be careful out there. Chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel is Jesus' sober and serious warning to his disciples. Although the desk sergeant's daily warnings to the patrol officers was certainly important to their physical safety, Jesus' warnings to watch and to stay alert have far greater importance to us. Failure to heed Jesus' words will endanger not only our health and our lives, but our very souls. This entire chapter, which is sometimes referred to as the little apocalypse because it contains Jesus' revelation about what would happen at the end times, is actually the Lord's longest discourse in the Gospel of Mark. Now, compared with some of the lengthier lectures that Jesus gives and which are recorded in some of the other Gospels, it's really rather modest. But don't underestimate its importance. St. Mark places it right before the Passover at which our Lord would be crucified. In fact, the very next section of Mark's Gospel is the plotting of the chief priests and Pharisees to take Jesus' life. Here, though, Jesus takes the opportunity to give the disciples fair warning about what would take place during the end times. We Christians hear much about the end times during the final few Sundays of each church year. We hear about the separation of sheep and goats. 
We hear about the judgment of those who do not treat Jesus' brethren as they would treat the Lord himself. Jesus also talks about the destruction and the persecution and the deception and the disasters that we can expect as the end times approach. There is telling of the preparations that the wise should take to be sure that their spiritual lamps have adequate oil when the bridegroom comes. All of these words inform us that the times leading up to Christ's harvest of his elect will indeed be troublesome. Yet we can also be confident in the assurance that he will sustain and support us through those difficult days, even those last times of our own lives. Now, as Advent begins, we prepare for the celebration of the Christ child, Jesus coming as a human baby, humbly, quietly, reflectively we do this. We wait and we watch once again with all of the prophets and all of the people of the new Israel, the Christian church. We are hopeful that our Savior, our Messiah, is coming soon. Yet it is fitting that Advent too also includes a focus on the end times and the judgment of God. For even as Christmas approaches, we must always keep watch for the coming of the triumphant heavenly King, victorious over sin, death, and the evil one. The message of Jesus' discourse in today's reading The message, in fact, of this entire chapter of St. Mark's Gospel may be summed up in Jesus' final words of this reading. Watch, he says. This word is clear. This word is emphatic. This word is imperative. And taken at face value, it can strike a deep fear even even into the most faithful Christian's heart. And well, it should. Uncertainty is always something that gives us pause. It causes us anxiety, whether that anxiety be about job or school, about family or about finances, about safety or about health. Think about all the uncertainties that you face on a daily basis, all the concern for yourself and for your loved ones, all of the precautions that you take, you try to prepare for, and you try to minimize the potential negative consequences of whatever you think might affect you and your family. Now, multiply all of that uncertainty by the more than six billion people here on earth. Now increase it yet again for all the dozens and dozens of generations that have lived since our earthly parents first sinned and placed us under the corruption of sin and the threat of death. That's the sort of uncertainty that surrounds the end of time. And you and I have no idea when that's going to happen, do we? Your neighbors don't know. Your friends, your bosses, your teachers don't know either. Anyone who claims to know when this will take place is selling you a very smelly bill of goods. The angels don't have a clue either. Even our Lord Jesus himself, the very Son of God, does not know when the end will come. Therefore, Jesus gives everyone fair warning. Watch. 
the early Christians took Jesus' warning seriously. Two of the most common names in the early church were Gregory, which comes from the Greek word for watch, and Vigilantius, the Latin equivalent for one who is vigilant, one who keeps watch. These early believers knew and understood what we can sometimes forget, that although Jesus had physically ascended into heaven, he would, in, he would return one day unexpectedly, and he would ask for an account of his servants left here on earth. He would see just how they had acted and taught and conveyed his word, both to their fellow Christians and to the heathen all around them, as he is commanded. The apostles not only obeyed Jesus' words, they repeated the commandment of the Lord to their own disciples. St. Peter admonished his readers, Be sober, therefore, and watch and pray. St. John said, Blessed is he who watches. And St. Paul exhorted his readers, Watch, stand fast in your faith, be strong. So, how are you doing on this? Are you watchful? Do you keep this command of our Lord? Are you on guard and alert, watching over the Master's house with due diligence, carefully performing your assigned tasks? Or do you want to do some other task, one of your own choosing? Perhaps the task assigned to some other servant in the house, to the doorkeeper, perhaps. Or do you not want to do your work at all? You just want to slack off and ease down your guard and to fall asleep. The owner may return suddenly and find you not as he ought, but sleeping. As difficult as it is sometimes to stay awake physically and mentally in this world, that is nothing compared to the difficulty of following the Lord's imperative that we should all remain alert, spiritually speaking. Stay awake. And just how do we do that, faced with all of the challenges of this life? First of all, there is our human need for physical sleep. How does one possibly maintain physical alertness and spiritual alertness as well if our conscious minds have to be switched off while we are fast asleep? Then there's the matter of our daily responsibilities, which often require every ounce of our concentration. We're largely incapable of meditating on spiritual matters at the same time that we're attending to worldly matters. And then there's the honest admission that even when we do turn our attention to spiritual things, even here in God's house, it is all too easy for our minds to drift so that our thoughts and our devotion are not as pure as they ought to be. No matter what we do, we always seem to fail somehow at our Lord's instruction to stay awake. And from a conscious, effort-filled viewpoint, this is entirely true. We cannot stay awake, not according to our own dedication or efforts. Let's face it, even if we could forgo sleep and willfully concentrate all of our thoughts and efforts upon spiritual things around the clock, we would still, by our very nature, be sinful and unclean. That corruption runs through every fiber of our being. Moreover, it is something that we can't change. 
While we might be able to confess some specific known sins, and by the strength of God, the Holy Spirit, overcome them and turn away from a few of our wrongful habits, we can never conquer what it is we are through and through. Poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but God's temporal and eternal punishment. It is hard for us to follow Christ's guidance and warning to stay awake when there are so many other things in this world that will lull us into the drowsy sleep of unbelief. To name one common failing, we are not spiritually awake when we opt for physical sleep rather than worshiping on Sunday morning or at other worship opportunities. We find excuses, we find other priorities that sometimes keep us from returning to the Lord's house again and again to hear the words of his promises, to be nourished by his body and blood. We also fall spiritually asleep when we do come to the Lord's house or when we do conduct personal devotions, and yet we allow our worship to become mindless or automatic. Often the words simply get repeated out of rote habit, like modern-day Pharisees, without any real care or concern or understanding. We are not spiritually awake when we focus on the things of this life, building up for ourselves a false security in our work, in our studies, in our investments or our possessions, or even in human friendships. We shouldn't expect that these things are going to endure any more than did the temple in Jerusalem in Jesus' time. In its own end, even that solid and massive structure was thrown down, left to be nothing but rubble and dust. Are the edifices that we carefully construct for ourselves going to be any more long-lasting? We are not spiritually awake when we don't apply the same forgiveness to others that Christ has applied to us. We often don't see the need or feel the inclination to convey the blessed gospel message of salvation to those outside of the church. But don't ever think that anyone is beyond your love or beyond your forgiveness. They certainly aren't beyond God's love and forgiveness, even in his holiness, so it's a much shorter reach for you. Yes, you may find that there are certainly people in this world who will mistreat you. But what kind of message about Christ and Christians are you conveying to them if you refuse to forgive them when they turn to you in repentance? What does it say for your own belief in the mercy and grace of God? God snatched you out of the eternal fire in spite of your own faults and your stubbornness. Shouldn't you also freely forgive those who have trespassed against you as God has freely forgiven you? Lastly, we are not spiritually awake when we do not recognize and resist and reject the evil of the world around us and we, when we end up accepting it or acquiescing to it. We hear in the headlines about individuals literally getting away with murder. Society approves and bestows rights so that people may legally engage in things that God has deemed abominable. Sinful behavior is foisted upon our culture as just another individual choice. Celebrities advocate false, human-centered religions, and people flock to their concerts and their movies. And through it all, many Christians just remain quiet and shrug 
like an ice-cold splash of water on the face of a sleeping person, we must be awakened to the fact that so much of what the world now deems normal, acceptable, or even admirable is in fact deviant, destructive, and demonic. Our warning alarm, our spiritual wake-up call begins right here in this place. Right here, where God shows us His love most clearly in the cross of Jesus. Here, where the benefits of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection are applied to us personally in the promises and the power of His Word and His sacraments. Our faith, our strength to stay alert and to perform our assigned tasks, God builds up right here, where He blesses us with all of His gifts. Here, we are shaken out of the slumber of monotonous, mindless spirituality, where we pray not for what we wish, but what God Almighty would have for us. That is why we pray in the name of Jesus. It is His mercy, it is His shed blood, and not our own worthiness, that pleads for us before the throne of our Father. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And that's how we can know that our prayers are spirit-led and not self-centered, when they focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ and on the will of the Father. When we are tempted to doze off into the foggy bliss of chasing and enjoying worldly things, He will not let you be lulled into thinking that the world is all that there is. Christ redeemed you to be His own so that you might be with Him not just now, but forever. Not just for the hour or so when we can drag ourselves here, but forever. You are His treasure, His pearl of great price. The focus of our faith is Christ, and the end result of that gift of faith is eternal life with Him. When we forget our assigned tasks in the Master's household, he reminds us that we were reached by the power of His Word. He helps us to carry on our mission to reach others with the Gospel because we live for others by living for Him. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him for who their sake died and was raised. Finally then, Christ stands with us before the kings and governors and powers of this world. He helps us to speak out against the evil and the sin that constantly tries to advance against His church and tries to lead away both saved and unsaved alike. We are not to conform ourselves to this world, pretending that unrighteous behavior is irrelevant to Him. The unchangeable God has not changed His mind on any moral issues over the centuries based on our cultural changes. Rather, God calls us to holy living and to reject evil and unrighteousness in recognition of the holiness that Christ has bestowed upon us at the cost of His life. To put it simply, each of us is to walk in a manner worthy of our callings, and to use our callings as a conduit for His truth and His righteousness and His mercy. To be spiritually awake means to be honest in our repentance, 
to recognize our weaknesses in the face of all that would do harm to our faith. It doesn't matter whether it's our apathy about our need to feed our faith here in the church, or if it's our seductive and sedating temptations to quit fighting against the world's corruption and to simply go with the flow. In either case, the results would be deadly. We would be found asleep when the owner of the house returns. But Christ has called us to alertness. He rouses us to readiness. His call is anchored in the very trust that he's bestowed on us through all that he has done, not what we ourselves are able to do. Our only hope to remain truly alert and to be about the master's business is to cling to the promises of God's grace in Christ Jesus, which assures us that Jesus has died to take away all of our sins. And that is precisely what it means to be alert and to be awake. It is to be clear-minded of the fact that Jesus has done it all. There is no more rousing, stimulating, or jubilant thing to awaken our spiritual lives than to know that Jesus is our only Savior and that His saving work has been fully accomplished for us. We can take great comfort that the One who has stayed awake and has kept vigil for us will continue to do so. His is our strength to perform our assigned tasks in His household, in the midst of all of our weaknesses and in the midst of all of the world's distractions. Where we are weary, He is watchful. When our minds are clouded with confusion, He sees with truth and with clarity. He safeguards each and every one of us, His precious dear ones, for the glorious day of His return. And at that instant, whether we are sound asleep on our beds or awake and preoccupied with the things of each day, when the Lord returns with all of the suddenness and the jolting shock of a midnight telephone call, we need not worry that we will be caught unawares with no time to sort it out and to gather our wits. Your readiness for heaven is not dependent upon your own watchfulness and preparations. It depends on Christ Jesus alone. Through His life, death, and resurrection, He has made you worthy. By His ascension, He has gone on before you to prepare an eternal place for you in heaven. In the gift of faith, He has applied all of His gifts to you, especially His righteousness, and He has made you His own. Watch, therefore, and be awake. It is the advent of your Savior. In his holy name, amen.